Blog Talk Radio. Between the Lines, where each week we chat live with authors and other publishing industry professionals. Before we get today's show rolling, we'd like to take a moment to invite you to connect with us on our website, which is www.dialogbtl.com. That's www.dialogbtl.com, which stands for Dialogue Between the Lines. Also, you can log in to blogtalkradio.com and uh, use the Connect Using Facebook button that sits right on top of the page, and just simply follow the prompts afterwards. Um, our website address for uh, the live show is uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash dialogue. And for those of you who are right now in our chat room listening live to today's broadcast, don't forget to throw out some questions for us to use. Often we do use the questions from the chat room and the um, ad for a more interactive uh, experience. You can find the entry to the chat room by heading over to blogtalkradio.com forward slash dialogue and clicking on today's show link. As soon as, as soon as the show begins, the chat room will appear if you scroll down the page. Now, if you happen to be uh, there at the page and you don't see the chat room, just refresh your page, uh, reload the page, and it, the, the chat room should load up for you. And we do try to give uh, an opportunity for you in the chat room to pose your questions to our guests. So let's go ahead and uh, think up some nice questions for our, our, our guest today. Now, stay tuned because just in a few short minutes, we will have joining with us today uh, Seattle romance author Anthea Lawson. And she's going to tell us about her novel, Phelan, The Bright Court. It's an Avon romance. Can't wait to begin today's talk. But in the meantime, uh, Susan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Joshua. How are you doing? I'm really well. So you've been very busy recently. Tell us what, you're, what you've been up to. I've been super busy. I'm uh, on blog tour right now for the next um, month and a half. I've been uh, on the same blog tour for Spider Brains, a love story, which is about a um, little girl who gets bit on the finger by a, a black arachnid, and uh, it sends her world into something that seems a lot like becoming the spider. So um, she's... She's just my favorite little character right now, and I just love Susie Spider. And uh, so I'm on blog tour for Spider Brains, a love story, until August 31st. And then, um, and I've got some great blog tours that I've been on, um, just incredible, Beyond the Book and uh, Children and Teens um, uh, a Book Club and just a, a host of incredible, incredible blogs, and I'm having so much fun too. The the members are great, and uh, and Dorothy Thompson, my publicist, is um, is handling the entire tour, and she's doing a remarkable job too. So kudos to Dorothy Thompson with PumpUpYourBook.com, and I know you've used um, Dorothy as well, haven't you, Joshua? And you've just gotten back from an incredible time at Thriller Fest. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and I, and I completely agree with you that um, Dorothy Thompson is a, is a wonderful publicist, and do, doing blog tours with her is has always been a very 
lively, <laughs> a little bit exhausting sometimes because she's so thorough with the venues that she gets you. But um, but yeah, I've, I've worked with her and I enjoy working with her. And she, she's with yeah. uh, it's a company called Pump Up Your Book, and her website yeah. is www.pumpupyourbook.com. And and you're right. I just got back um, a few days ago from New York City, where I attended Thriller Fest, and I got to tell you that ha- that was probably one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. There there have been a couple of experiences as a writer going to professional conferences that I will always remain in my mind, and, and this was the, this was definitely going to be one of them. Uh, we, Steve Berry, who ha- who's been on our show n- numerous times, is the one who actually invited me to to join the International Thriller Writers. And um, in doing so, I gained entry into Thriller Fest as, as a, not just a person who's participating as a delegate there, but I actually gave a panel. I was on a panel with Robert Gleason. It was, uh, the panel master was Daniel Palmer, but it was actually the, the panel topic was conceived by Robert Gleason, who is an author and also an executive editor at Tor. Um, and it was called, Is the Apocalypse Imminent? And what was so funny was that each one of us thriller writers who were on the panel, when we came together, we just looked at each other and shrugged our shoulders and wondered, what the heck did they put us on this panel? None, none of us <laughs> write apocalyptic thrillers. But somehow the panel went really well, and we found a way to tie in the uh, um, uh, human reasoning and thinking and tastes and predilections towards apocalyptic stories and find a way to relate that to the, our own writing and the books that we wrote, even though the books we wrote weren't apocalyptic. And one of the things that I think I kind of concluded was that the reason people like apocalyptic books or stories, um, part of it is because they, they it's sort of a morbid fascination, sort of like when there's a, a car wreck on a freeway. Why does everybody stop to look? It's not that they enjoy seeing people getting hurt, but there's just, you, they they can't help but watch and wonder and think. Right. It brings them to a level of thinking. So I think one of, that's one reason. The other reason is that we're sort of like children in our minds, spiritually and and mentally, in, in terms of wanting to, to see where the limits are. You know how little children will act out because not because they're bad kids, but they really want to see where are the, are the boundaries that my parents set for me. Um, because if, without them, and they keep pushing further and further out, it's really scary because they don't know. That there's that there's that there's anything but chaos in their life unless there's some kind of structure. So, I believe that we, people like apocalyptic stories because they want to be able to see like the worst thing that could ever happen, happen, but not actually experience it. They want to read about it or see it and see that there's still hope, and see that you know we as human beings can survive it, whether by our own means, if you're a humanist, or maybe by divine. Intervention, if you're if you're um, you know a person of faith, but either way, they want to see that no matter how badly it gets, um, there is still hope. So that was kind of my conclusion on on, on that topic. Anyway, um, Thriller Fest was wonderful. But before I you know I could talk about this all day, but I realized that we do have a guest waiting in the wings, so we want to talk with her, not me. Um, so Anthea Lawson is an author whose first two novels were actually co-written by herself, Anthea, and Lawson. Um, they're a husband and wife creative team living in the Pacific Northwest. Their first pa- novel, Passionate, was released from Kensington Books in October 2008 and was the nominee for the prestigious RWA Rita Award for uh, Best First Book. And that's quite an honor. 
since 2010, Anthea has branched out uh, solo, continuing to write historical romance as well as young adult urban fantasy. And uh, she wrote that under the name Anthea Sharp. Anthea is still happily married and living in the Northwest with her husband and daughter, where the rainy days and excellent coffee fuel her writing. In addition to writing, Anthea is an Irish fiddler with the Celtic band Fiddlehead. You can hear samples of her music at www.cdbaby.com forward slash artist forward slash fiddlehead. So, without further ado, uh, delay, <laughs> let's welcome to Dialogue Anthea Lawson. Anthea, you're on the air. Hi, Anthea. Hello, Hello Anthea. Here. How are you? We had a little bit of a delay there. Sorry about that. No worries. How are you today? I'm good. Now, you've got quite um, uh, an impressive uh, line of, of achievements and, and uh, awards and that type of thing. Uh, and it seems that... Y- you know, you've, you've, your first book was published in 2008. Can you tell us a little bit about the years leading up to your first publication and, and your awards, how, how you actually got into writing professionally? You bet. Um, I've always written, although mostly poetry, starting in high school and then all through college. And even though I've been an avid reader my entire life, it didn't really occur to me that I could write fiction. Um, I just devoured it um, until early 2000s when I read a book that just, I think a lot of writers come to writing from this, where you read something that disappoints your reader expectations so much that you think, oh, I could do a better job than that. <laughs> so I uh, I sat down and, and furiously began to write a historical romance um, with a exotic locale based around a botanical expedition. I was having so much fun with that. Um, and my husband and I are, are creative partners. He plays in the Irish band with me, and uh, we embark on a lot of endeavors together. And uh, he said, well, what you doing there? What you working on? I said, oh, I'm writing a romance novel. And he, he said, well, let me take a look, too. And uh, pretty soon he was elbow deep in it, too. And um, we found that the pro- creative process together, we were able to, uh, we would joke that if it was up to him, he would have one perfect chapter written. And if it were up to me, I would have, you know, four or five okay books. But between the two of us, we were really able to figure out how the craft of fiction works and um, and come out with a book that we were really proud of and, and pleased about. That's wonderful. You know, um, I, I'm starting to see a kind of a commonality with a lot of the writers. And, and as you may have heard, uh, as I was talking about Thriller Fest, I met a lot of authors at Thriller mm-hmm. Fest. So in speaking with a lot of those people, some people who I met for the first time, and also a lot of authors I've known prior to that, uh, the commonalities I'm seeing is that there's this creative streak in them. And what I mean specifically is that there are a lot of authors who are not just writers, but they're also like musicians, like you and I. I'm a, I'm a musician, too. Um, Daniel Palmer, whom I mentioned, is a singer-songwriter. Um, and so there's this creative bend that uh, that is all common with them. The other thing is uh, having a, a spouse or, or any significant other being really part of the creative process, and in your case with your husband and you're co-writing books together. Now, is co-writing with your husband, I mean, how is that as an experience? <laughs> we get that question a lot. So I'm sure. <laughs> you're writing books together and you're still married. How did that work? Um <laughs> But we uh, we we really found our balance and 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 played to our strengths 
you know, as authors. And um, since we've been playing music together for many years, it was it's still the same idea where you're working together with your individual parts to make a stronger whole. And um, and as long as we kept working toward that, and we were also we're pretty good negotiators. And um, sometimes I would just have the final say. <laughs> he would uh, we'd I would draft usually um, the the first go round because I'm pretty unafraid of the blank page, so I could just sit down and come out with a draft. Um, and then it would go to him, and then it would go back and forth through many iterations. We we joke that we actually probably rewrote the book about seven or eight times, just back and forth between us. And um, and then we would come to a point where we were both satisfied with that chapter, and then we would move on and, and repeat the process again um, until we had an entire book. And then we said, well, we did it. We, we wrote a novel. Now what? And uh, at that point, I joined uh, Romance Writers of America, which is a wonderful organization, I'm very supportive for anyone writing romance and who's serious about pursuing a career in romance fiction. And uh, through that, learned about there's lots of contests, there's lots of ways to get feedback about your work and, and learn how your work is going. Um, I do want to mention the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, who I believe their conference is going on right now or just has been happening, and that's a wonderful organization. And so we we put our manuscript in their uh, literary contest, and it ended up winning third place. And wow. so that was a thrill, and that told us, okay, we we got something here. Um, and then that manuscript also went on to be a finalist in the unpublished contest that Romance Writers of America does called the Golden Heart. And it's if, if you get if you make it into the finals of the Golden Heart. Common wisdom is in a few years you'll get picked up by an agent, you'll get published, and um, and that's what happened to us. So, wow, and you know we've met before through the Romance Writers of America, one of the chapters, and I believe it was in Olympia where we mm-hmm. first met at a Barnes and Noble event. That was so much fun, and it was the first time we got to talk. And I just wanted to make sure everybody knows how wonderful you were and how I felt like. Um, you were just all open arms uh, about meeting me because I'm fr- not from those parts. <laughs> I'm from way up north, and, and so it was really sweet. Everybody was so kind and wonderful, and it was just a real wonderful experience. But um, you you slip between different genres within romance, I, I see, and uh, the the Phelan series, um, the uh, there's the Dark Realm, the Bright Court, those are uh, YA, young adult. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you feel between um, about writing both? I know how I feel, uh, but I'd love to hear what you think about slipping between adult fiction and young adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it very refreshing. Um, one of the things with the Feyland series that I was pretty clear about was that I wanted to do that under a separate pen name, uh-huh. um, just because the historical romances can be pretty spicy and... Yeah. Um, we have a daughter, and she and her friends are actually really enjoying reading the young adult series. And um, just wanted to be very clear about what's suitable reading material. You know, we're, we're not telling our daughter what she can and can't read, but we want to make those lines pretty clear. So, Right. Well, you know, that's a, a wonderful reason to um, write young adult. But I just want to direct our listeners to um, Anthea Lawson's website, and that's Anthea Lawson. A N T H E A L A W 
WSON.com. Um, there are several uh, great pages on this website. Of course, your books are listed here. There's an excerpt where you can read some of Anthea's work. And there's also, which we don't get very often, Regency Parlor Music, and, and that's wonderful. So you can also listen to Anthea play in, in this uh, in this chamber music. That's what it is, right, chamber music? Well, Regency Parlor Music, it's interesting Parlor because um, one of the things that, and my husband and I actually did a presentation at a writer's conference a couple of years ago on, on Regency Parlor Music, just because we wanted to take our, our two creative endeavors, music and writing, and, and try and meld them together. And uh, Parlor Music of the Regency, you know, people were making their own entertainment, and if you had somewhat of a talent or a skill at music, you were that was every bit as important as physical beauty, really. And um, so we started doing research on the types of music that would be played during the Regency in, in small, intimate gatherings or at um, larger musicales where, uh-huh. where you had... Um, you know, people hosting, and uh, and it was a very interesting mix. Actually, there was certainly some classical music. There was a lot of um, sort of the songs of the times, um, uh, and and particularly parlor songs and sweet little duets, and with fairly simple piano parts as well. So, so we enjoyed researching that, and I thought, well, you know, it would be really helpful. We found this information. Let's go ahead and put it up on the website. So. Oh, I think that's a great idea. And you know, it would. Um, I, I've seen this co- lately. In fact, my my ebook incorporates some links to musical um, websites. So um, this would be wonderful that if you could, you know, wrap that into your ebooks. But um, I want to also direct our listeners to uh, the excerpt, and I would like to read just the first paragraph because I think it's very compelling. It's got all of the qualities that you need in a good hook paragraph, um, just the wonderful first sentence alone. And um, this is from All He Desires from Anthea Lawson, and this is Chapter 1. The uh, timestamp is Crete, March 1848, so this is historical fiction. Do you consider this? This isn't Regency, is it? No, no, it's Victorian. Okay, Victorian, okay. So this is in Crete, and this is Chapter 1. Caroline Huntington was falling. The distance from saddle to ground took on... You know what? Will you read it? Do you have it in front of you? If you talk for a moment more, I will run I over will. to my bookshelf. And, and again, I want to um, also mention the book title again. It's called All He Desi- Desires, and um, Anthea is going to read the first couple of paragraphs. It's really lovely work and like I said, anybody that we we get an awful lot of writing students or emergent writers or just people that wanna listen to authors talk about their work and mm-hmm. so this has all of the qualities of a great opening hook for a book and I know you're back on the on the line, Anthea. Do you want to read the first few um few paragraphs there? It would be lovely for our audience. Yes, I would love to. Thank you. All He Desires, Chapter 1. Crete, March 1848. Caroline Huntington was falling. The distance from saddle to ground took on a dreadful expanse as her horse reared. Flung backward, heartbeat doubling in her throat, she clutched at the pommel, but the smooth leather, leather slipped beneath her palms. 
For a sickening moment, she hurtled down through empty air. Then the earth rushed to meet her, clouting her head and sending a rough pain jolting down her outstretched arm. She swallowed, sudden darkness hovering at the edges of her vision. From far away, she heard the throb of hoofbeats receding. Help! It came out a moan, and who would hear? She had left the village far behind, drawn too far up the track by the promise of a dazzling view from the hillside, the scent of dusty herbs in the clear air. Wow. Hmm. Wow. I just love the the, the, the setting <clears throat> the setting up of that. I mean, you, you've, you've got the reader um, it, it dropped right into the middle of of her free fall or whatever. I mean, <laughs> and, and and you just set up all these questions. And I mean, that's the true definition of a hook because um, you've enticed our readers to turn the page and and uh, and try to find out more, finding out more. And, and I suspect that this book. I'm just going to guess, but it's just going to be like uncovering of more and more layers of of the character and of the plot and of what's going on. So, um, and uh, the fact that you set it in this exotic locale and exotic, not just in in geography but in time and in, in history. So, you've got all that wrapped up in the first couple of sentences too. So, you know, that's great. Um, now, you've talked a little bit with Susan about uh, going back and forth between adult fiction and young adult fiction, um, do you find that you, you've got a, any crossover audience? I mean, do you have fans who are adults who are really enjoying your young adult fiction and, and some of your young writer, young readers who are starting to enjoy your adult fiction at the same time? Um, I think the crossover definitely goes from um, adults who really like the young adult fiction and not so much from um, the younger readers. I don't think are crossing over so much into historical romance. It's just not their cup of tea so much. Um, but definitely there's a lot of adults um, and older readers who have really been enjoying the Feyland series, um, partially because their kids bring a book home or because they are um, and always have been sort of young adult fantasy science fiction readers. I mean, I know I certainly have been my whole life. I've I've sort of crossed back and forth between the, quote, adult fiction and the and the more young adult sort of sci- sci-fi fantasy-based works. So. And um, the Feyland books are actually, they've been a lot of fun to write, and um, those are a project that I've taken on just pretty much on my own. My husband has gotten pretty busy with his other job, which happens to be an attorney. kind of keeps you, keeps you going there. And um, so I've... I've really enjoyed writing that series, and it's set in actually a near-distant future. And um, the, the premise of, of the series is, what if a high-tech computer game was a gateway to the dangerous realm of fairy? Wow. Yeah. So you mentioned that your, your husband's an attorney. Um, mm-hmm. Now, for your, um, for your uh, adult books and all that, do, do any of your... Um, I guess your other professions, you know, I, I don't know if it's a profession or um, like his being a lawyer and your being a musician. Does any of that c- come into your books as well? Oh, definitely the musical aspect does. Um, we also co-wrote a short story that appeared in the Mammoth Book of Regency Romance in July 2010 um, called The Piano Tutor. And of, so obviously there's a, a strong musical connection there. And um, we just always have threads of music running through our books. Um, there's 
another historical romance that we're kind of working on on the side, um, which very strongly pulls in um, musical aspects of the era and features a hero who's kind of the rock star of his age. And so that's a that's a novel we're working on right now and having fun with. Oh, that sounds wonderful. And, you know, um, I, getting back to the fact that you collaborate, uh, we've talked to other authors on the show, um, Douglas Preston and, and Lincoln Child both mm-hmm. collaborate. Um, and we spoke with Lincoln Child about that. It was He's he's quite a, a funny guy. But um, could you tell us a little bit about the actual collaboration process? So one of you, uh, do you do chapter by chapter? Or do you do an outline first and then write each write to that? Or how do you actually write the book together? I mean, you know, doing it together and staying married <laughs> is a trick itself. But the actual process, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, so I'm very much a pantser, which means mm-hmm. seat of the pants writing. Um, although when you're writing um, to sell and when you're writing um, uh, an option book, you do kind of have to have a map of where you're going in the form of a synopsis. And um, right. I, I have published author friends who, you know, they sell on synopsis and then their book goes on to resemble nothing like the synopsis that they actually sold on which I think happens more frequently than than not um, because a book will always surprise you. But we basically had a general outline of knowing where we want to go um, in both of the books, sort of the beginning. In fact, that, that line, Caroline Huntington was falling, that line was in my head almost from when we first started writing the second novel together. I knew wow. that that was going to be the opening line. And I often do that. I'll have the first the very first line or the vision of the opening paragraph, the opening scene in my head. And then the outline would go along to say something like, and then a bunch of exciting things happened and and drama <laughs> and and uh, some kind of dark moment, and then I pull it all out at the end and live happily ever after. And that's sort of my outline of a book. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. But, well, you know, and then your your husband writes, how does he how do you insert his work pretty pretty seamlessly um so what we would do is is definitely a chapter at a time um talk about okay here's this chapter what are our goals what's going to happen in this first chapter um and then i would sit down and and do a first draft um and then just hand the pages over we worked in hard copy um partially because of of the time i think now, when we've done some collaboration, we've found working in Google Documents to be really uh-huh. a helpful, useful tool. So, um, but it's kind of fun working on hard copy and just handing pages back and forth furiously. Um, he would get going with his pen and start marking stuff up. Um, the backs of the pages would be completely scribbled on, where he would come up with ideas and maybe whole chunks of writing. Um, and then I was mostly the typist, and I would go back in and incorporate a lot of those changes and work on sort of smoothing the jointures, the hinges. Um, one thing that he particularly um, early on was was much more talented than I at writing good, compelling, fun dialogue. Um, and so a lot of the dialogue, particularly in the in the early book, is, um, is I would kind of say, hmm, 
they would say a few things here, and he would really expand and 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 make the dialogue just just shine. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, um, all he desires is uh, is the one that you just read from, and it's fabulous. And that's a, a zebra mass market paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, and zebra is under is an imprint of which um, of Kensington. New York. It is Kensington. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And what other um, publishers have you been published with? Um, we sold on a two-book contract to Kensington, um, and I think, as you mentioned earlier, our first book was nominated for a Rita Award for Best First Book, and that oh, was wow. fun. Um, and then, you know, the publishing industry has really been through a lot of changes recently. Yeah. And, um one of the things about the Zebra debut program, which was the imprint, the line that we were bought into, um, was that um, because of the changes in distribution and and um, and, and in people's reading habits, really, um, that line ended up folding, um, and a lot of authors who they bought for that for that particular distribution plan um, ended up not getting their contracts renewed. Yeah, um, I have a lot of friends who who have gone on, um, who have been veterans of that line and and gone on to um, work with a bunch of other publishing houses. Um, we decided to actually hold off and um, go independent and do some self-publishing. Good for you. So, yeah. um And the the novel, uh, the romance novel is is still in process, as I said. But I've actually had some wonderful success with um, writing and publishing short stories and novella and just releasing them in the digital format. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, it, it says a lot to what, like you said, the the publishing industry is, is quite in quite a flux right now, and uh, the changes are phenomenal. And we're finding uh, something out that we didn't really realize in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, although the 90s started really showing this uh, fact and trend is that it's a reader's market. Um, Readers are really calling the shots right now, whereas for the longest time, because um, access was so difficult, because distribution was handled by the publishers, because advertising was handled by the publishers, that we always thought it was a publishing um, market. But it's really not. It's a reader's market. And I love the fact that the readers are calling the shots and saying, no, this is what I want to read. This is the story I want to read, not the same story that XYZ Publisher has published in the last, you know, for the last 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think it, I think it really opens the door up and, and makes it better for authors and readers to connect. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a tremendously exciting time for both um, authors and for readers, and not so much for the big publishing machine, um, because there's that disintermediation of the author being able to reach the reader much more directly without the gatekeeper um, Mm -hmm. who is sort of orbiting what people are reading, um, partially because big publishing had to make choices about books that would appeal to a large number of readers. Um, And the fact remains that there are, are books out there that will appeal very strongly to a smaller number of readers, but they just weren't economically feasible for for big publishing to to pick up and publish and produce, um, and so I'm actually both for myself and and with a number of my friends who are also independently publishing or or 
you know, have a foot in both worlds with traditional and, and independent publishing, um, really finding that they're picking up readers in niche markets that New York publishing had said, oh, Westerns, we don't publish Westerns anymore, no yeah. one reads Westerns. And lo and behold, there's there's maybe a smaller niche, but a very happy, rabid readership of Westerns out there, and it's just a question of, of reaching them directly. So I've, I find it very invigorating. The other thing that's very fun is that books can be the length that they want to be, and I think there's a revival of, of short-form fiction and novella-length fiction, um, which traditionally have not been big sellers to, to New York publishing, um, particularly in, in some of the genres. Um, there used to be print magazines for romance, you know, True Love magazine and things like that, but, but those fell by the wayside quite a while ago. But it turns out there's a, there's a very ravenous readership for shorter form fiction, I think because of how busy people's lives are. You know, instead of picking up a novel, you can read a short story in an evening and, and still get that full satisfactory read. Yeah, you know, um, you mentioned doing both, and so you're you're doing some independent, and you you've done some uh, traditional publishing, uh, and you just started talking about this just as as you finished your last uh, statement. Uh, do you find that your your writing is different now that you have uh, different venues you can go? I mean, do you find uh, your your writing not necessarily like the actual prose and things that you're writing, but your 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 habits, your um, expectations, your, your your lifestyle as a writer? Uh, is there are there any contrasts, any difference between being an independent writer and a traditionally published writer that you can talk about? I think that um, I didn't spend quite enough time in the traditional publishing trenches. Um, only two two books um, came out uh, traditional New York published um, to really have that greatly impact me as a writer. Um, I do have friends who are finding that they have tremendous freedom now as after sort of breaking out or, or feeling like they have the option to go indie. Um, because you do end up sort of writing to market, even if you're trying not to. You you know what your editor's tastes are, you know what your publisher is looking for, and you kind of end up being somewhat constrained by that. Um, and I think the tremendous freedom that independent publishing offers authors is the ability to write the story however it needs to be. Um, because there is there's sort of conventional wisdom in New York that, oh, this type of thing doesn't sell, readers don't like that type of thing. Um, and now the writers can write what they want, and the readers can decide if they actually do want to read that type of thing. So I guess you're enjoying that freedom because um, you, you you don't have to now worry if, you know, you write something that you feel is, you know, really the story that you really want to tell. You don't have to worry if, like, the sales and the publicity or marketing department um, even though your editorial department of the traditionally published book loves it, you don't have to worry if it gets shot down in the boardroom by the, the marketing and sales department. Absolutely. That's great, because you are your marketing and sales department. Yeah, and it's a lot of hats to wear. You know, um, Definitely striking out on your own, indie publishing, pubbing and self-publishing is not for every writer. Um, there's a lot that you have to do, but again, if if a person has been of a somewhat entrepreneurial mindset, I think it's a little easier to to make that transition. One of the interesting things for my husband Lawson and myself when we went to traditional publishing is we've been indie musicians for many years and produced our own CDs. And when you do that, you contract a graphic artist for the cover art, you write the copy, you you 
are in the recording studio, you master it, you mix it, you're involved in every single piece of the process, and then you go on to market it, sell the CD from the stage, it shows. Um, and it was, we were a, a bit taken aback when we got into the, the machinery of traditional publishing about how very little control, once you've mm. turned in your manuscript pages, um, the author has over what happens to their book, how it's packaged, how it's marketed, what images go on it, what writing goes on the back cover, pretty much out of the writer's hands. Right. Well, do you, but nevertheless, you still did get and pursue and get some traditional contracts. Do you, what did you find uh, the benefit to be uh, working with uh, Kensington, or was it Avon? or um, Kensington. Uh-huh. Traditional publishing, and definitely, you know, in the mid to later 2000s, um, traditional publishing was still had the distribution channels. If you wanted to get your book out there to more than 50 people or, or 200 people, um, you needed print distribution. Um, and it was only in, you know, about 2010 that digital started busting stuff open and breaking down some of those barriers between authors being able to directly reach their readers. Um, so definitely the distribution part of it. And um, it was it was very interesting to um, to see the workings of publishing and to, to be within that. I think depending on the publishing house and depending on your manuscript, some authors can benefit from the editorial guidance, and, and that's one of the things that publishing says, well, you know. Bring us your your manuscript and, and we'll work on it. The interesting thing, and I think it's because um, together Lawson and I wrote and rewrote and really worked on our manuscript quite a lot and thought a lot about fiction. We basically we felt like we were en- enrolled ourselves in graduate level fiction writing program at home, um, but we ended up with our book basically not having um, any editorial input whatsoever. Um, and it went on to to garner a nomination for for a Rita Award for the best first book. So um, I think part, partially that was due to our process as writers, um, but it was very interesting that that's not a benefit that we particularly got out of publishing traditionally. Yes, yeah, and and a Rita Award for those of you that aren't aware is is a national award given by the Romance Writers of America. And it's quite a substantial award, and uh, being nominated for that award is quite an uh, quite an accomplishment and an honor. So congratulations on that. And I just want to say also that you could find Anthea Lawson's books and her, uh, under both names, Anthea Lawson and Anthea Sharp for her young adult series um, on Amazon.com and all the major online distributors as well as on her website, so uh, which is AntheaLawson.com. Um, so, Anthea, you're, you said you were working on another novel, and you're working on that one with your husband, correct? Yes, and um, partially because of that, it's, it's a little bit on the slower track right now okay. um, because of, of life being busy. Um, so the, the romance novels have kind of gone a little bit on the back burner, um, and in the meantime, I'm, I'm writing the short fiction and the, and the young adult Salem series, of which the third book is going to be coming out in October. So. Oh, wonderful! Oh, that's fabulous to know. So, um, but we we do really hope that you uh, will um, get that 
adult romance out as well because I know you have a, quite a, a lovely uh, fan base and I know that they're probably all chomping at the bit for that. Um, your books look wonderful and your uh, online, the Amazon page for Anthea Lawson is just stock full of great books. Um, you've got the, of course, you know, all of your novels, but your short stories as well. And mm-hmm. your short stories, you're concentrating on the short stories as uh uh, almost inventory, correct? To to um, are you using them as loss leaders and uh, and hoping for um, better sales and and you know as we most of us do hope for better sales. Um, but are you using those short stories and novellas as loss leaders? Um, not necessarily. In terms of um, I, there are some authors and some traditional publishing houses who think. That two ninety nine is sort of the bottom price that they're going to sell yeah. anything. Um, I feel like a short story, particularly uh, the Piano Tutor, which is about seven thousand words, comes in about twenty pages. I feel like ninety nine cents is is a perfectly appropriate price for that. Uh-huh. And, um, and then the longer fiction goes up a little more. Um, my my next two, actually, technically they're novelettes, which is not a term you hear very often. Um, some, somewhere between a short story and a novella. Um, I have those priced at a dollar ninety nine, although Amazon has discounted those down to ninety nine cents as well. Um, and I've definitely found that the more works you have out there, the more titles you have out there, the more it increases your visibility. And it's also a way to um, sort of tide our readers and our fans over as we as we work on the next full length novel. Um, to continue to keep Anthea Lawson titles out there. Sure. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you a, a question since, you know, you do have a little bit of experience. At, I mean, you know, it's not a little bit. It's significant to some extent with both worlds, uh, traditional and and, um, and independent. But when I was at with Thriller Fest, I met a lot of uh, young, aspiring authors, not necessarily young per se, but, you know, they're <laughs> young to the career. And many of them... It was just a, it was just an assumption on their part. I mean, just you know, a given to them that in order to get their book published, and they're, they're, they've got their eyes on the traditional market, they had to have an agent. And they didn't even question that. They just said, um, "Well, my first step is I got to get an agent." And you know, um, do you have any thoughts on that? I certainly do. Um, and whenever people ask that question, I refer them to Dean Wesley Smith, um, who has a website at www.deanwesleysmith.com and um, he has a section there called Killing the Sacred Cows of Publishing where he basically is myth-busting the things that people say about how to get ahead in traditional publishing. Um, Laura Resnick, who actually, for any romance reader and writer, she wrote a book, um, I think in the late 90s actually, called Rejection, Romance, and Royalties that was sort of one of the first tell-alls about some of the things, some of the ways that traditional publishing does business and some of the crazy things that can happen, some of the horror stories in publishing, and particularly um, looking at romance publishing. Um, But my take is that that it really depends um, and that you don't actually have to have an agent to sell traditionally to New York. Um, That's how we sold originally. and it's sort of the accepted norm, but I think that there are, are reasons that people don't necessarily have to have an agent. Um, 
And people say, well, how do I get to an editor? Everyone says no unsolicited submissions. Um, definitely going to contests. Editors are taking pitches for books um, via contests. And then at conferences, they're available for, for authors to pitch their books directly. Um, and then also just cold submitting. Dean Wesley Smith says, and I've never put it to the test, but he says, if you send an editor a good book, even if it says no unsolicited submissions, they'll be interested. They're looking for good books. So that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And um, this has been just really a pleasure for me because I know you, and <laughs> and I know that Joshua has enjoyed it too because he's he he's been enjoying talking to you. I can tell just by listening. And oh, so um, we're just really thrilled that you were uh, able to take some time to be with us today, and um, we're going to wrap up pretty soon. But um, are there any other comments that you'd like to uh, make about or or talk about any of your other work or anything specifically that you'd like to add? Not particularly. I've just I've had a really good time. Obviously, um, you know, writers love to talk about writing and about the publishing process, and I'm just thrilled to have been able to join you today. Well, we're thrilled too, and we really appreciate it. And thank you. And we hope you come back too soon because we we often talk about um, the indie publishing world as well as the traditional publishing world. And so uh, we would love to have you back on when your new uh, work is ready. Just give us a jingle, and we'll we'd be happy to have you on again to talk. Absolutely. And um, if readers want to know more about my releases or just want to drop me a line. Um, with any questions, I really I love interacting with people. So anyone listening, if you want to drop me a line, um, Anthea at AntheaLawson.com, I would love to hear from you. Wonderful. Okay, thank you so much, Anthea. We appreciate your time. Great. Thank you, Susan, and thanks, Joshua. It's been a lot You're of welcome. fun. welcome. Yeah, we had fun, too. Thank you. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Wow, she's just great. And um, so you heard it here, Anthea at AntheaLawson.com and you can find her at www.AntheaLawson.com wonderful romance author uh, based out of the Seattle area and um, you can also find Anthea's work at Amazon.com and all of the major uh, online distributors Um, and we would like to also thank all of our listeners for for being here or for listening (laughs) for being here for, for being here virtually Virtually, and listening to us today um, and joining us on Dialogue Between the Lines. Don't forget you can read, of course, more about Anthea's books online anywhere on Facebook and Twitter and uh, in print and ebook formats. And for your information, a podcast of this great interview with Anthea Lawson and other of our broadcasts can be found at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Dialogue, And please, we'd like to invite you to visit our website, www.dialoguebtl, that stands for Between the Lines, dialoguebtl.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. And be sure to tune in next week, where on, on the 26th, uh, next Thursday on the 26th, when our, we all have another great romance writer. Uh, oh, well, I don't think she's a romance writer, is she? Thriller romance. Thriller writer. Thriller. Terry Blackstock yeah. will be joining Pardon me? I was just saying yay. <laughs> yay, Terry Blackstock. <laughs> so thanks again for listening to today's broadcast, and thanks to those who listened to us and, and contributed in the chat room. We really appreciate your time. Until next week, we want to say thanks a lot for joining us again.
on Dialogue Between the Lines. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.